You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the most fascinating statement at the end of that verse. Before the beginning of time, God knew your fingerprint, but not just your physical fingerprint. Before the beginning of time, God knew your spiritual fingerprint. God knew. God knew. I I mean, I'm glad he didn't tell me ahead of time. God knew I wouldn't be the phys ed major. God knew I'd end up changing my major. And God knew that he put a desire in me. We are God's handiwork. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us that sometimes the directions of our lives change because of the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has created us in Christ to do good works. He has specifically prepared these good works for us before we were even born. Therefore, God shapes and molds us over time and gives us godly desires that will serve Him and His kingdom purposes. Press in and listen to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 12, with today's edition of The Living Word. chapter 13 and once you find the place you just got to back up one verse because we begin in chapter 12 verse 25 when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John also called Mark you back up to chapter 11 verses 25 and 26 and it tells you their mission that's talking about is when Barnabas goes to Saul in Tarsus, all the way from Antioch, looks for him, finds him, invites him to Antioch where revival is broken out. Saul comes, is added to Barnabas's ministry team, and for a year they taught great numbers of people that had come to know the Lord there in Antioch. Now their work there is completed, church is thriving. They evidently go back to Jerusalem, give a report about the work, and that's been completed now that they've done in Antioch. And now they go back to Antioch, and from Antioch, which becomes a missionary sending church. The Holy Spirit calls them on their next missionary endeavor. Verse one, chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And we aren't given any real details except that verse 4, it says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. That's 90 miles. That's a long way. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. 
the proconsul, as an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul, proconsul, I can't say that real well, can I? That dude from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Paul just goes right to it, man. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, a great transformation here, great, you know, conversion, and Inscriptions bearing Sergius Paulus' name have been found on Cyprus confirming that he got saved and his whole family becomes Christians as well. But other than them, there's no other recorded fruit after this 90-mile trek. Verse 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. Stop there for just a minute. Something you might not notice unless you're reading within the whole context of the chapters of the book of Acts is that right here, there's a significant change. Up to this point, it has been Barnabas and Saul. It was Barnabas who first convinced the Christians in Jerusalem that Saul of Tarsus really was saved. Nobody believed he was really saved. They thought he was just Ploying, playing a game, trying to get at believers to persecute them. And he thought if he played like he'd come to know Christ, he can get in places he never would have before. It was Barnabas who convinced the Jerusalem believers that Saul really is saved. His name means son of encouragement. That's one of his giftings, no doubt. He's an encourager. It was Barnabas, I say, who convinced them that Saul was saved. It was Barnabas who made the long trip from Antioch to Tarsus and invited Saul to become part of the ministry team. And up to this point, Acts 11.25, 11.30, 12.25, and 13.7, up to 13, verse 13, Saul's name is mentioned first. But here, except for Acts 14.14, it now becomes Paul and Barnabas. Acts 14 verse 12 tells us that Paul was the chief speaker of the ministry team. Was he initially? I don't know. But he becomes the leader. I think that's interesting because the last part of verse 13, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Let me read it all again. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. We know his leaving was not in the will of God. It wasn't God's will. Because in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, now on the next missionary journey after completing this one we're reading about, John Mark wants to be on the team again. I can see Barnabas encouraging him to consider. You made a mistake back there. You made a mistake, but God's a God of grace and forgiveness, and let's get over that and let's move on, come back on the team. But he's got to go and get Paul's agreement. Barnabas is not only an encourager, he's John Mark's cousin. This is a family affair. But Paul says, no, he deserted us in Pamphylia. He's not coming. He's not coming back on the team now. He's not coming on this journey. They have such a sharp dispute that Barnabas takes John Mark and sails for Cyprus. Paul takes Silas and goes through Syria and Cilicia. Very quickly, you get to Acts 16, a replacement, if you will, for John Mark. And boy, he's a good one, Timothy. And at that point, The Holy Spirit chooses 
to no longer record Barnabas' ministry with John Mark. He follows Paul and Timothy and Silas. Whatever happened to Barnabas and John Mark? Barnabas, we don't really know for sure. John Mark, we'll come back to that in a minute. But for now, back in chapter 13, this missionary journey, now without team member John Mark. Verse 14, from Perga, they went on to the city in Antioch on the Sabbath. They entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now, buckle your Bible seatbelts, because i got a few verses to read. Pay attention. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for, for there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem, their rulers, did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for death sentence, For a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you're my son. Today I've become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I'll give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. He was buried with his ancestors, his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. You still awake? As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city 
gathered to hear the word of the Lord. You talk about fruit. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Anytime you're doing something for God where there's going to be fruit, there's going to be opposition. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We're almost there. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. This is not just fruit. This is abundant fruit. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And despite the opposition and the persecution, tremendous fruit. And Paul and Barnabas, even though expelled from the region, they look back and see Lots of people saved, lots of fruit. And it's fruit that John Mark should have seen. It's fruit that John Mark would have gotten the same heavenly reward for, but he didn't. Why? Like I've said to every other meeting this weekend, I don't want to insult your intelligence. I'm not trying to do that. But here's here's why. Here's why John Mark was not part of the fruit. And the reward. (laughs) He quit. Here's what it means. To give up. To abandon. To cease. To stop. He quit. Come on now. How many of you have ever quit something and later regretted doing so? Come on. Let me see the hands. Look around at all the hands. Look at all the hands. Can you say it publicly? What did you quit? And later regretted doing so? Ministry. Ministry. Who had a hand up here? Right in here. What did you quit? You quit college ministry and you regretted it later. Who had a hand up here? What'd you quit? College. You quit college. I did too. Thank God I went back. <laughs> Amazingly, I graduated. Who had a hand up all the way on the side here? Over here. Who had a hand up? What'd you quit? You quit a job and later regretted doing so. I want to leave you guys out on this side. Way over here. Anybody have a hand up? Who had a hand up? You never quit anything. You bunch of liars. <laughs> Okay, right in here. Who had a hand up? Who had a hand up? Who had a, what'd you quit? Piano. Piano. Later regretted doing it. I quit typing. It took years to regret it, but I have regretted it now. <laughs> All the way in the back. Who had a hand up? Shout it out. What'd you quit? Playing the drums. You quit playing the drums. Now, we could go on and on and on, and if I didn't have anything else to say, I'd just go on and on and on. I played for Moose, the Moose Lodge. That was my first little league team. We were the worst team in the league. They made fun of us. They said, moose juice. I hated it. Came in dead last. So I quit. Next year, moose went from the worst team in the league to winning the city little league championship. They got to ride on their own float in a parade. Downtown Hartsville. That's a big deal where I come from. And there I'm watching them. There's Terry Barfield, and there's Dennis Clanton, there's all my old teammates, but I'm no longer on the team. Now, it's interesting. I don't want to think about it too much, but they went from worst to first after I left the team. (laughs) But I've always regretted that. 
In 10th grade, I was on the junior varsity football team. You didn't have to go to summer camp to be on the football team, but if you were really committed, you'd go to summer camp. You slept at the gym next to the field, the practice field. You go home for one weekend between the two weeks, try to recuperate, and go back to camp. It was grueling. One of the hardest things I ever did. Second week, assistant coach Jones comes into the room where all our beds are, and he shouts, 20 minutes, shorts and shoulder pads. I'm like, I ain't putting on my shoulder pads. I'll put on my shorts. And I put on my shorts, and I walked out the back door and didn't tell anybody. Went over to Tom Braddock's house, and we went out to smoke pot. And that was a whole lot more enjoyable than football practice that day, I'm telling you. Until Jimmy Irby, who was on my team, and he got moved up to varsity, and he came to me a few weeks later, a couple of weeks later, and he said, you know, it's too bad you quit. Coach was going to move you up to varsity. And the day the team took the field for the first game, I fought back tears, and I've always regretted quitting. I get to Liberty after becoming a Christian. I had, you need to understand something. A lot of you know this, but some of you don't. We see new faces here all the time. You need to know something. Public speaking was never on my radar. Never. I was a physical education major. I wanted to somehow God use me through some kind of sports, being a PE teacher or something, you know, or doing what Lewis does here with our sports ministry, you know, somehow just to use sports. Public speaking was nowhere on the radar, nowhere. And they said, you're a phys ed major. Nevertheless, you have to take one speech class. It's required. I almost got in my Plymouth cricket and drove back to Hartsfield, South Carolina. And I've been very thankful, not only that I did not do so, but I'm thankful they don't make Plymouth crickets anymore. (laughs) You know how many times... I've wanted to quit the ministry here. This is my 32nd year. Now, look, don't clap. Look, look, I'm not 32nd year. No, come on. Look, 32nd year in one place. That's rare. That's rare in one place. A few years ago, I was right there. I don't care how much money you pay me. I'm gone. Thank God I didn't quit. Well, God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the most fascinating statement at the end of that verse. Before the beginning of time, God knew your fingerprint. But not just your physical fingerprint. Before the beginning of time, God knew your spiritual fingerprint. God knew. God knew. I I mean, I'm glad he didn't tell me ahead of time. God knew I wouldn't be the phys ed major. God knew. I'd end up changing my major. And God knew that he put a desire in me. And then he'd start opening little doors to publicly testify. And then he gave me a desire to teach and to preach. It's just fascinating to me. But he knew it. He planned it. Ephesians 4, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. No other fingerprint like yours. Never has been, never will be. Same way spiritually. Same way. The context of this is God gives apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to train for works of service, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm convinced the least a Christian can do for the sake of the kingdom and and calling themselves a Christian is give to support the ministry of the church. I'm convinced of that. I'm not going to get off on that, but the parable of the talents. One is given five, one is given two, one is given one. But if they're faithful, their rewards are equal because God determines how much talent he's going to give you and how much money he's going to give you. Okay? So if you're faithful with little, you're faithful with much. If you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with much. When the one with five goes out and doubles it, the master commends him. 
The one with two doubles it and is commended, but the one with one, he buries it. You know what the master says? He said, you wicked, lazy servant. At least you should have given it to the bankers so it could earn some interest. If you're not going to do something, at least give it and let somebody else do something. I think that's the least. You know what the most a Christian can do? I believe for the kingdom, they're all messages in themselves. I'm just giving you a little, you know, shots here. Serve. Find a place to serve. Don't just be a church attender. Serve. Be faithful in the small things. And in time, here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. It'll happen. In time, you allow God to confirm the giftings and the calling in your life. Philip started waiting on tables in the Jerusalem church. What was his ultimate calling? Philip the evangelist. My ministry started as a sanitation engineer. I won't go into that. And then don't quit. You want to see the ultimate fruit of your calling in life for the kingdom? Don't quit. Worst thing a Christian can do for the kingdom and for your own Christian walk is quit. John Mark was called a helper. The Greek word literally means an under oarsman. You know what an under oarsman is? They're not on deck with the captain and the other officers. They're below deck. You usually don't see them. You usually don't know their name. And I want to pause very quickly and say, look, there are hundreds and hundreds of under oarsmen in this ministry. And a ministry ship will not move the way it's intended without under oarsmen. And I want to say thank you for your faithfulness being under oarsmen. Thank you. People that will never be on this stage, you'll never see their name in the bulletin, you'll never see them on a, a video clip of the announcements. But this ministry would not be what it is without them. Thank you. Some, some under oarsmen are a little better known, even though they're under oarsmen. Like this guy here, he's a little, a little better known. Why'd John Mark quit? We're not told. And because we're not told, it is okay to speculate. Not to speculate to determine doctrinal things, but to speculate. What, why did he quit? We're not told. He might have quit because Barnabas and Saul is now Paul and Barnabas. I think that's a possibility, especially in light of verse 13. That's when Paul is listed now as the leader and continues now to be Paul first. And it's the first half of verse 13 in our text that we read from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergamon, Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Barnabas was not only the initial leader, he's John Mark's cousin. And let me say one more thing quickly on that. You study the scriptures carefully and you will see that while Paul and Barnabas were both committed to the Lord and great missionaries, they had very different personalities. Very different personalities. Barnabas is more of an encourager. Paul is like, let's go. (laughs) And you left and you're not coming back right now. And Barnabas is like, no, what about the grace of God? What about forgiveness? Come on, Paul. And they have such a sharp debate. I mean, they are committed, but they are different personalities. And some of their giftings were different. Maybe it was because of God's prophetic promise to Paul. Right after Paul got saved, God sent a man named Ananias. And one of the things he said is, you show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. And you read places like 2 Corinthians 11, which I'm not going to take time to turn and read there. But you go and read about some of the things that Paul suffered. In Acts 20, they're trying to get him not to go to Jerusalem because of what prophetically has already been said is going to happen to him there. He's going to be bound. He's ultimately going to die. They try to stop him. He says, look, my life is worth nothing to me.
Jesus commissioned his followers in Acts 1 verse 8 by telling them that when they received the Holy Spirit, they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This commission extends to us right here, right now. Our faith isn't meant to be kept a secret. We need to share it with everyone, everywhere. We hope today's message on the living word has been an encouragement to you and even inspired you to tell someone you know about the Savior that you have. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church and click on the Sermons tab. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're there to get updated content each time we post it. We love connecting with our listeners, so also stop by our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Join in the conversation and we'll add some positive encouragement to your newsfeed. Before our time is up with you for the day, we'd like to ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you pray for us each time you tune in to The Living Word? Pray that we keep listening to God and following His plan for our program. Please pray too for all who will be listening next time that their ears and hearts would be open to the truth and love of their Savior. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Thanks so much for being part of our time here today. Join Pastor Danny next time for more from the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word.